This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Well, hey guys, welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and I'm so glad you're here this week. If you've been listening for a while or you're a regular listener, thank you so much for tuning in every week and telling friends about the show, recommending it to others. I want to just read you a quick review before we kick things off from user TWV2. And this review on iTunes says, Erica shares the stories of women who have truly unique backgrounds. She listens and asks thoughtful questions. Hearing these stories is not only inspiring, it's necessary to hear from women who come from different backgrounds, and that's what America's about. Thank you, Erica. Keep doing the incredible job you do, shining the light on amazing women. Well, I just want to thank you so much for um, the person that left that review and encourage you uh, to leave a review if you haven't done so yet. It really helps get uh, more ears on the show, and I just really appreciate it. But let's move on to today's guest. Um, My guest today is someone very special. Her name is Jess Ekstrom. You may know her from seeing her on stage at your latest corporate conference or at that inspiring women's event in a nearby big city. She's making waves as an inspiring speaker across the country, but it all started when she was in college and founded Headbands of Hope, a company that is devoted to helping provide headbands to children battling cancer. Jess's inspiring entrepreneurial ventures led her to inspire women nationwide, and now she's taken her message of hope and optimism to help women find their voices and share their stories on stages and beyond. She's also sharing what she's learned in her new book, Chasing the Bright Side, which we talk a bit about today. Jess has so many nuggets of wisdom to share, and after participating in her online class, the Mic Drop Workshop, last year, I can tell you that she is the real deal. I know you're going to love this conversation with Jess Ekstrom. All right, well, welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast today, Jess. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, if you don't mind, I'd love to start by asking you, what's your story? Who is Jess and what's important to you and in your life? Man, where do I begin? Well, first, I'll tell you that I'm, I'm coming to you from an airstream in Oregon right now, if that says anything about my story. So uh-huh. if you hear any weird noises or things coming by, um, hopefully it's not a bear. But I uh, am from North Carolina. I started my company, Headbands of Hope, when I was a junior in college for every headband sold. We donate one to a child with cancer. And um, I decided to just hit the road with my husband in April, and we've been traveling in an airstream for a few months now. And um, yeah, my story has a lot of ups and downs, but that's maybe the Sparknotes version that we can start with. <laughs> so, so the airstream moves. Okay, that's a. New, I don't. I didn't even know what they did. I just knew they looked cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and We're then. Ch- with a truck. Yes. Okay, got it, got it. I do know that Miranda Lambert song about the Airstream. Oh my gosh, no, I need to find oh, that. I love Miranda Lambert. I'll send that to you. Um yeah, it's I don't think it was like on the radio, but it was like on one of her albums and I I love that song. So when I I was reading about that you lived in one, I thought, "Oh, she's got to know that one." So I should. I'm disappointed in myself. Yes, please send it to me. <laughs> so is is the traveling life is that related to how much you're speaking and going to different conferences and events and things like that? 
Yeah, a little bit. Um, so I was traveling all the time, living at home. I was I, I'm on the road like 50 times a year for speaking, which I love the speaking side, but the traveling was really getting to me. And uh, I think I loved the traveling. I just didn't love being away from my family and um, sleeping in a different bed every night. And it was actually my parents who are also um, former entrepreneurs as well. They sold their company and sold everything they owned and got in an RV and they've been traveling full time in an RV for five years and just became park rangers, which I think is adorable. But seeing their lifestyle um, really inspired me and my husband and starting to think about all the times that I'm on the road, maybe we could do this together, also see the country, we're big outdoor enthusiasts. Um, and then with my book coming out in November, it kind of turned into, or it's turning into a book tour as well. Um, I think it just goes to show sometimes when you want something and you start doing the little thing that little things to get towards it, and then life kind of just starts flowing in that direction, you know that it was a good choice. So do you and your husband work together? Does he have a separate job where he can work remotely? Yeah, so he has a separate job that he works remote. I also call him my um, advisor, my therapist, my masseuse, um, <laughs> the trip. So uh, dog trainer, you know, you name it, he does it. <laughs> Um, not, not chef though. I think the only thing he can make is like scrambled eggs and grilled cheese. I, I still do all the cooking, but, uh, so he does help me a lot. Um, but yeah, we've been able to work remote. Actually, Airstream has this cool feature called Airstream Connected and it basically turns your Airstream into like a Wi-Fi hub. So, um, it can, wherever you go, you have, uh, Wi-Fi as long as you have a little bit of service. So that's been a huge help to work from the road. That's really cool. This is like a commercial for Airstream. If anyone's thinking know, about right? getting one, it sounds like, awesome. If you, act, if you act now, you can get this. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have a discount code, guys. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. <laughs> just go on Craigslist and find an Airstream. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Headbands of Hope. That's not, well, I, I know you're still doing that, but right now it seems like your main gig is more the speaking and your teaching and inspiring other women to, to become speakers um, as part of their careers. Um, but when we talk about Headbands of Hope, to go back just just a moment there, you started that company, I think you were in college, and mm -hmm. I would love to hear just a little bit about where you got that idea and how you actually made that happen at such a young age. Yeah, I um, Headbands of Hope has been such a uh, an amazing thing that happened in my life that really taught me a lot. I was in college, I was interning for Make-A-Wish, and I was seeing a lot of kids that were losing their hair to chemotherapy, and they'd be offered a wig, or they'd be given a hat. And a lot of them weren't really concerned with covering up their heads. They just wanted something where they could feel good about themselves after hair loss, and so headbands were this perfect way to do that. And I just thought it was such a cool gesture of confidence seeing them wearing headbands and uh, really wanting to just embrace what they were going through. And so I started to look up um, different organizations, maybe that provided headbands to kids with cancer and realized that that was a connection that hadn't been made yet. And I think that that was really the moment I became an entrepreneur was when I saw a need that wasn't being met and I decided that I was going to be the one to fill it. I think sometimes we get in our heads so much about like what entrepreneurship is and oh, do you have a business degree and do you have funding and this fancy business plan? But really, it's just about creating what you wish existed. 
So, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, how do you go from idea to actually having a real product that you're able to get out there? Well, it is, uh, I'm glad you asked, because it's not so A to B as many people um, might share the narrative, and I like to be pretty transparent about it. So um, I, I feel like starting with the small things is just the best thing that you can do, because the, doing the small things gives you the confidence to then do the bigger things. So first I, you know, looked up domains on GoDaddy and um, tried to see if there was any trademarks, you know, that I needed to be aware of. Uh, then I just tried to meet with people who would give me like 15 minutes of their time, business professors, things like that. But uh, when I finally was ready to start looking for a product, I found this website and it was this U.S. manufacturer's database, I guess you could say. And I started looking at um, anyone who can make elastic in their bio. I was like, they can probably make a headband. So I started emailing all of these different places, just basically throwing darts, like hoping someone would just take a chance on me. And then one day I got an email back after like two months of radio silence from this factory in Kansas. And they wanted to set up a call. They loved the idea. We got on the phone with them. Um, they were like, how can we support you? This is amazing. So they shipped me some headband samples. I gave them feedback. Again, like two months of the back and forth with this factory. So then I finally got a headband from them that I was like, good to go with. I was like, okay, you know, let's do it. Let's make this headband. So they sent me over the invoice to pay and it was for $10,000. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I <laughs> like, don't know about that. <laughs> I know. I was like, this is a problem because this is about $9,500 more than what I had in my junior year bank account. You know, uh -huh. still ramen noodles. And, um, and I just, I, was I you know and the thing was it wasn't that I didn't know that I was gonna have to pay for this it was that I didn't feel like I was in a place where I was um qualified to question people mm -hmm. I was insecure I felt like I didn't really have a seat at the table anyone who was working with me was doing it as kind of a selfless favor um and I now realize how wrong that mindset was, but it's so easy to get caught in that mindset, especially as women, um, when we feel like we uh, aren't qualified to speak up or ask questions. And that's exactly how I was feeling. But nevertheless, um, I needed to figure out how I was going to get that money. So I started to research different options. I was like, okay, maybe I can get a loan from the bank, you know, and pay interest. Maybe I could try to get an investor, give away some equity and I was talking with my dad about these different options because him being an entrepreneur, I wanted his advice. And he was like, look, I have seen your business plan. I've, you know, researched this company. I think that you can really provide something really valuable. And one thing that I did wrong was I gave away too much equity too early. So I will front you the loan and you can pay me back when the business starts to make money. And that was, I mean, huge. And I recognized like the immense financial and um, emotional privilege that that came from. It was like, um, so cool that he believed so much in this idea. Mm -hmm. So I went to the bank, I wired them $10,000 and I never heard from them again. You're kidding. 
No. Oh my gosh. Dead serious. And so that really happened and you had to start over. It was, I mean, it was one of the worst moments of my life. Oh my uh, gosh. That's awesome. Oh my God. I, that was like over seven years ago and my heart is still racing right now as I tell this story. And, and there was no way to like find out who they were and make them. Back, we, yeah. So we ended up going to court and we, uh, it was like, I was 19 years old. I'm like being deposed. It was this whole mess. And I found out on these forums, which I should have read before, that she was trying to do this to all these other people. Uh, that had these product business ideas that she had done the exact same thing where she would claim that it was like a design fee, even though that wasn't what it was agreed upon. Um, so it was awful. We ended up just having to cut our losses and spending more time and more money in legal fees trying to get it back. And it was like such a nightmare. Um, and luckily, you know, my dad, don't get me wrong. He was not happy, but it wasn't directly at me. It was at the situation, but I just felt awful. And, um, you know, sometimes when we have those hiccups, when we're starting an idea, we can be so quick to like draw a line from our mistakes to ourselves of like, Mm -hmm. I'm a failure. You know, I am not qualified to do this, but Now, looking back at this path and now knowing more entrepreneurs or people who have done something, they all have stories like this, you know, every single one of them. And so these bumpy roads aren't about the like absence of success. It's just, you know, navigating them. Um, So I I know that I went off on a tangent here, but you asked me about like, what's that first step? My first steps were a little bumpy. Um, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't working. And so uh, it was a huge, huge learning point at the very beginning. Well, it's like, yeah, it's like if your first step is failure in some way, then it's almost like, you know, you're on the right path (laughs) in a way, which which is encouraging to a lot of people. If I can move, like if I can get past this, then I can get back past anything. It really, set the tone for my resilience and my strength heading into this company. And so then I assume you did find a worthy place to do business with and were able to proceed with, with getting your headbands off the ground. Yes. I mean, started off with like two headbands, this really nice supplier in North Dakota, like let me buy very low minimums after hearing what I went through and um, started off with two headbands. Now, seven years later, we have over 200 styles on the site and I, never took outside money from anyone ever again. I was like, this is going to be my thing. If I lose money, it's going to be my money. And um, that's, yeah. And now we have half a million headbands donated to kids with cancer. Wow. That's really awesome. And I have been on the site and I mean, the headband craze, I feel like really took off at the exact same time, just the reemergence of people loving (laughs) headbands. So it's great timing. Like that was planned. Like so many people were like, oh, how did you foresee this? headbands coming back and I'm like I I had no idea (laughs) (laughs) well that just means it was meant to be yes exactly serendipitous so at some point you 
uh, transitioned a little bit to speaking. Obviously, being a very young entrepreneur, you probably had opportunities right off the bat to talk about your business and be on the news and things like that. But um, when I found you, I found you um, on Facebook. I got a very well-targeted ad. <laughs> um, it's great yeah. how those things work. Um, yeah. I was, um, I had just come out with my book last year, and I was going to be doing some speaking. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't know what I'm doing. I need to learn, but I just don't even know where to turn for this kind of thing. And I, you know, I don't want to, I had looked into some personal coaching and it was just way too expensive. Yeah. And so I got this ad for your program, the mic drop workshop, and I kept clicking on it and clicking on it. And after a while I was like, okay, this is like a sign you need to do this. You need to take this workshop because, um, this is the perfect time this ad came to you and this is exactly what you're looking for. And it stuck out to me, of course, because you were talking about how women are really missing on the speaking circuit or they, there's a lot of, um, gaps to fill when it comes to women on the speaking circuit. And you are one of the, you know, one of the main ones out there, uh, speaking at a lot of these big conferences. So at one point, what point did you transition from, you know, working more on the company to doing more speaking and then becoming inspired to really take that on as part of your career? Yeah. Well, first of all, congrats on your book. And I'm Thank so you. excited you're in Mic Drop Workshop. I'm glad that uh, the ad landed to you. I promise we didn't have any recorders or anything set up in your home. Oh, um, no, no. There's targeted at like people that like, you know, those kinds yeah, of things. That's of what it's for. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so I, here's the thing is, is I got started speaking before Headbands of Hope really took off. And that's one of the things I try to emphasize in Mic Drop Workshop is a lot of times the barriers that we set for ourselves before we feel that we can become a speaker is we feel like we have to arrive in a certain place. Like, oh, I have to have my, you know, business has to have this level of success or I have to have this title. And people aren't um, looking for perfection. People aren't looking for you to speak to them on top of this throne or mountaintop. They just want authenticity. And a lot of times um, we take ourselves out of the game before, um, before we even try because we feel like in order to be a speaker, you have to be an expert. But I started speaking just at my school. When I started my company, I would speak to different classes before Headbands of Hope even returned a profit. I mean, this was while, like, my customers were, like, my friends and family. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that speaking for me became this other mission that I didn't even realize um, was within me. And once I discovered how powerful a microphone can be, I really wanted to see that equal representation on these stages. Uh, I think that speaking is one of the best ways to reach people. And it's not lecturing. It's inspirational storytelling. It's taking the unique stories that we've been a part of and facing them outward of how can what I experienced help other people. And like I said, you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have a library named after you or whatever in order to do that. And a lot of times what I was seeing on these panels or conferences that I was a part of were the same kinds of people. A lot of white men that are just filling up all the lineups because they feel that they're qualified to speak. And a lot of those, um, I felt that a lot of these conferences were just getting stale because we're not hearing from different voices. And uh, I met so many women throughout my career that have these 
amazing stories to tell that either one weren't telling them or two weren't getting paid to tell them because they didn't know that that was something that was on the table for them. So I started Mic Drop Workshop, which is an online course and community to um, encourage women to share their stories on stage and get paid to do it. And it has been so cool to see the, I mean, hundreds of women just within a year that have gotten paid speaking gigs or shared their story on stage for the first time. Um, if I can just share my resources as to how I got there, hopefully that can have a deeper effect just on like the lineups of conferences in general. I think, oh, I was going to say, I think sometimes you talk about the pay, getting paid to speak and sometimes it's so hard and I don't know what it is. We always say, oh, as women, and that's just true. I don't know why women specifically have this hard time believing that we deserve to be paid sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. But what, what do you see or maybe what are the misconceptions regarding getting paid to speak that you are seeing most frequently? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I'll tell you, I was the same way. Like my first gig uh, was the school that reached out to me and they said, what is your rate? We want you to speak to our students. And I was like, rate? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, get me out there and, and buy me dinner. So my first gig was for a slice of pizza. Um, but my second gig was for $2,200. And I was beside myself with nerves. I was like, Someone is paying me to speak, you know, $2,200 for an hour of my time. This is ridiculous. Am I, this is, is this fraudulent? Is this legal? <laughs> like, I was freaking out. But it was actually this story that I heard once about Picasso. And whether or not it's a true story is kind of irrelevant. But the message is there. So uh, Picasso was, it was, it was after he was famous. And he was sitting in this cafe. Someone came up to him and was like, oh, you're Picasso draw me a picture on this napkin. So he draws like a little stick figure and hands it over and says, okay, that'll be $5,000. And the person was like, what? It took you two seconds to draw this picture. And Picasso was like, no, this has taken me my whole lifetime to be able to draw this picture. And so that's the same misconception when it comes to speakers is they're not paying for your time. They're paying for the value of your time. So all of the stories, all of the lessons, all the time that it's taken you to get to speak on stage, that's the value. And so I think that the best speakers solve problems. They're not just up there to tell a cool story. They're up there to serve the people that are listening. So one of the, um, one of the tips that I give people in Mic Drop Workshop is when you're trying to think about what you want to speak about, um, think about people leaving the room after you're done speaking. Think about them, you know, closing the auditorium, sweeping the floors, and they're talking on the way out. What do you want them to feel? And what do you want them to do differently? And that's the value that you bring as a speaker. And that's what you should be charging for. Well, go ahead. Oh, no, that was, that was, that was it for me. That was it. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, um, you, you talk about, you know, many people feel like they don't know what to say. Well, people don't feel like they have a story. They haven't gone through some dramatic experience or traumatic life lesson, so to speak. Um, but I think you've pushed back on that. And what, what can you say to someone that's like, I want to speak, but like, I've never been through anything horrible and come out on the other side. Yeah, no, that's a great, great like comment and that doesn't need to be your platform on stage there's people that um speak about 
you know, what they've experienced in their, like, in the workplace and how they, you know, got to their next position or how they pivoted in their life or maybe a misconception that they got wrong. I know someone who speaks because they wanted to get on the prices right and they did everything they could um, and finally got on it one day and that's what they speak about is getting on the prices right. I know someone who's a successful speaker who was a um, mascot for a, like division one college and it's like that's what they speak about and so everyone has stories worth telling. Um, and that's the best thing about storytelling is that everyone's unique. No one's experienced the same things. So your story that you tell on stage doesn't have to be some wild ride of rags to riches or some, um, trauma that you've overcome. It's the stories who made you are today. What are the ones that have shaped you? What have, what have you learned from? Um, and how can those stories serve others? Do you recommend people have like, maybe a few stories or a few different speeches that they kind of change in and out or have one main one or what, what do you think about that? I would recommend starting with one speech and that one speech can have different stories within it. Mm -hmm. But I think that, um, you know, when a, when a company or a conference is looking for a speaker, well, actually let's do this. Let's say you go to a restaurant and they're like, oh, we serve Chinese food, we serve Mexican food, uh, or you can get, you know, a sandwich. It's like, well, those are a lot of different things. How can you be good at one of those things if right. you make sushi and you also have a burrito? <laughs> so that's the same thing with speakers, is you want to serve them what you're best at. You don't want to give them a wide range of options because they won't know what you're truly good at. So get good at one thing, get good at one talk, master it, and then maybe you can expand after that. But I would start with one talk that you really want to give. So, so people think, uh, people don't realize the opportunity that's out there. You, you've talked about how the women are missing, but from the conference circuit, how do people know where these opportunities are and, and how do they get in on them? Yeah. So the great thing, so what people would ask me, you know, why are you creating mic drop workshop? Aren't you basically creating your own competition? I would say the more female speakers that we have out there telling stories, the more opportunities there are going to be. There are women's conferences popping up everywhere. Companies are establishing, you know, women's networks within the company where they bring in speakers every month. Um, there is different women's organizations, you know, uh, within um, different communities. And then so many conferences that aren't even women's focus need women on their lineup to d diversify their panels. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that you can find speaker, find different speaking opportunities. And we talk about them in mic drop workshop, but I would say the number one way that I, um, get discovered to speak is by speaking. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, when I can point to like when my calendar filled up, it was when I did a speaking gig where there was three people in the audience that booked speakers. So even if you're speaking for free, you're still marketing yourself. Um, there are so many other ways that you can discover events, but the number one thing I tell speakers to do is just speak, even if it's for free at a local um, cha your chamber of commerce or if it's um, for a YMCA, you know, just get out there and speak and you never know who's in the audience who will then bring you back to your company. The other low hanging fruit is just adding speaker to your bio. Like 
put speaker on your LinkedIn, put it on your business card, wherever you have touch points with people, because people can't book you to speak if they don't know. Yeah, that was one of the simple things. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I did that right away when you uh, said that in the mic drop workshop. Yeah, I'm so glad because that's it's crazy how many times I mean, I was uh, in an Uber the other day uh, going somewhere and he's like, oh, what are you doing here? I think I was in San Antonio and I was like, oh, I'm speaking at this event. Oh, my daughter is the um, such and such programmer for this organization. Let me get your card. And so you just never know um, who's out there, who has connections to people who book speakers. So although you might be uncomfortable saying that you're a speaker, you are a speaker. So let it be known. And um, you never know what could come your way from that. Does it feel like second nature to you now when you get up on a stage, say you're on a stage in front of, I don't know, I'm making up a number, 50,000 people. Um, How does that feel to you when you walk out on the stage and all eyes are on you? Oh my gosh. My heart just skipped a few beats when you said that because I was like picturing that. And that's the thing is that it doesn't get something that's like, oh, let me just roll out of bed and speak speak (laughs) to 50,000 people. Like, I hope they have my red M&Ms ready. (laughs) um, It is still, I get the same kind of nerves before as I did when I was just getting started. Except um, now I know that those nerves, I actually classify them now as excitement because our body has the same physiological response to nerves as they do excitement. And so instead of saying, oh, I'm so nervous, I'm saying, oh, I'm so excited because I care about it. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to not feel those butterflies because it means that um, I'm not weighing the importance the same amount as I used to. And I don't care if it's 30 people or 30,000 people. I feel the exact same way right before I get up on stage Um, because I it's such a gift. Like it's such an opportunity taking the pay out of it. Like you are given a platform to share your beliefs, to share your lessons with a group of people. Like what better way to like make your mark on this earth than that? Have you seen evidence of, 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 of conferences and different events trying to pay women less for the same stuff? So I've seen that. I don't know if I have like directly been a part of that. I have been told <laughs> I always, you know, hop on a call with people before when they book me or, you know, before I get to their event. Oh, how'd you find me? I can't even tell you how many times they've said, well, we needed a woman. Mm-hmm. So we brought you. And um, it's just, and they don't mean it like, the, the thing is, is that they're just being honest. And at first that would anger me. But then I was like, great, you know, give me the opportunity because I'm going to prove wrong. And it's not going to matter if I'm a female speaker or whatever I am. I'm just going to be pardon my French, but a damn good speaker. And so whatever gives you the opportunity, even if they're booking you because you're a woman, take it because yeah. that's your chance to be wrong. Yeah, that's such a good perspective. And and one of your whole, um, your things and with your book, and I want to talk about your book is optimism and positivity. And so um, let's talk about your book. It's called Chasing the Bright Side and it's coming out soon, not quite yet, but soon when this episode releases. What made you want to write a book and what was that experience like? Tell me all about it. Yeah. So I'm sure as you know, um, speaking and and being an author are kind of complimentary. 
and so the more I spoke, the more I was kind of diving into these topics that I wanted to share. And um, actually, the real story, like like I said, I like to be transparent. I had this book idea that I was pitching left and right to these different agents, and everyone was saying, no, 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 we like you, we don't like this book, oh. until finally, I know, I was like, oh, come on. But um, finally, I was about to just give up, and I got connected with an agent through a speaking event, um, and they said, you know, we don't think this is your book, but we want to explore something with you. If you could pick a consistent theme throughout all of your stories, you know, what would it be? And I rarely have, like, jolts of clarity, you know. Um, (laughs) I don't, like, it's never like the clouds part and birds start chirping, but for some reason, in this moment, I just thought optimism like that is one of the clearest threads out of my story starting headbands of hope I had no idea what I was doing but I believed there could be better and so my book chasing the bright side um is about embracing optimism and being able to write our own story it's not one of those you know a positivity pledge it's not telling you to be happy all the time it's a movement to believe in better and then have the courage to execute it, whatever that might mean. Uh, so it uses my story with Headbands of Hope, but it also really gets into some other um, stories throughout my life that uh, I haven't really shared publicly. And um, book writing has been a vulnerable um, experience. It allows you to get a little deeper than you do on stage because there's more time to write on the pages. So um, it's I'm so excited, but I'm also having one of those moments where I'm like, oh my God, people are going to read this. (laughs) Yeah. Have you had advanced copies go out yet to anybody? Yeah, recently. So my launch team just got their advanced copies last week. And so they're reading it and quoting things from it. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened to you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is one of the most um, vulnerable things. And I uh, was talking to my other friend, who's an author, um, and I was like, you know, I'm feeling kind of weird pushing this book. Like, it's such a part of me, you know, that it's weird promoting it, I guess you could say. And she's like, do you think that this book is going to help people? I said, yes, absolutely. She goes, then push it with everything you got because you'd be doing a disservice if you didn't. Um, So, you know, and that's something that I say to speakers as well is like, don't, deprive the world of your gifts because you're too afraid to put a price tag on them. Um, and that's, you know, something I'm actively trying to push through with this book. Cause I do believe that it's going to help people, but it is such a vulnerable experience as I'm sure, you know, yeah, I was going to say that uh, for me, when the advanced copies went out, which I didn't really know the timeline, it just all of a sudden it happened. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So like people are like already reading it and it's not even like, really published yet like I'm so I was so out of it and then I thought well this feels weird I wasn't ready for this moment (laughs) right I know I felt the same I felt the same way it was just so vulnerable and I couldn't even like I I I don't know because you you write the book when you're just sitting in like a coffee shop or something and it's just you and your cup of coffee and you're just like sharing your deepest darkest secrets and then all of a sudden you're like oh my gosh people are gonna read this yes well what do you think I mean as you wrote the book and as you were thinking about the people that were going to read it um you know what do you think people are missing um but when they discount this power of optimism or this power of positive thinking in their lives 
That's a great question. I think that sometimes we can become, and including myself, become so um, absorbed in some of the negativity in our experiences and feeling like we're kind of in this pinball machine and the world is just taking us where we're going and we have no control. And for me, optimism is not always knowing where you're going or what you're doing, but believing that you can get there. And so with this book, with Chasing the Bright Side, I want it to be the real story. There, I didn't have this grand plan. I didn't have, as I'm, you know, as you guys now know, with that ten thousand dollars story. Um, but I had opti- an optimistic belief. I had um, this moment where I thought that there could be better, and optimism is what gives us the courage to create that. And so I want people to understand that it's not about where you're standing now. It's not about the resources you have or where you went to school. Um, it's just about that optimistic belief that there can be better and I can be the one to do it. And that's what I want to give people with this book. That's awesome. Um, I have two things before we get to the end of the podcast questions. Number one, um, I love this tweet that you had, which says, think of two people in your life who could benefit from knowing each other. Take two minutes to connect them. Um, just curious what made you put that out there? Um, because I just think that, it's such an undervalued thing to be a connector. And there's a few there's a few connectors in my life and I always like, man, like I'm so thankful for them because they're always so willing to kind of help me get to where I need to go. So talk to me about what made you put that out there. It's so funny. Um, you know, I I even talk about this in the book in the first chapter. Um, when I was a kid, I didn't have that many friends, but I was a matchmaker, like on the playground. I was all I was the person that you went to, to be like matched up because I was. I just loved connecting people, and I now will tell you I'm proudly responsible for four marriages. So, <laughs> um, not from not from my kindergarten years, but uh, that obviously that connector um, passion carried on. But it's just one of those things where I feel that so much of. Um, the big moments that have happened for me and for Headbands of Hope have been because of people that I met, not like revelations that I've had. It's the people that you meet along the way. Um, And I think that just people make the world better. And um, one of my good friends, Natalie Frank, you know, she talks about community over competition. And I was in a phase for a, a, a few years where I was in this competitor mode. And I was like, getting burnt out all the time. I felt angry. Social media was like so draining for me because I used it as this measuring stick. And, um, it was, it wasn't until I was, I saw this YouTube clip clip from Chelsea Handler where she talked about how she like made one of her friends come do improv with her. She's like, you're so funny. You should come do improv. And, the night that they were performing together, there was a scout in the audience and the scout actually ended up picking up her friend and not Chelsea. And Chelsea was so angry and stuff at the time, but then she realized, look, there's room for everyone. And I think that that's one of the best parts about just being alive and being creative is that we're all in our own lane. And so therefore there's different success for all of us. Um, And so if that's the case, then why not, like, let's do this journey together. Let's work together. Let's collaborate. Let's support each other. Um, so I try to do that for other people and just um, connect people to who I think 
could just benefit or get along from knowing each other and just make the process more fun. Well, I love that concept. So thank you for putting it out there. Yeah. Um, I also, I just had to ask you about this because you have all these fun facts on your website. And I just, I really wanted to see what it was like to do that Krispy Kreme challenge where you, oh, <laughs> you said you well, ate a dozen donuts and then ran, did you say five miles? Five miles. That is so many miles challenge. after the donuts. It is. Definitely a career highlight of mine. It's um, at my school, NC State University. It's like this tradition. Every February, you run the Krispy Kreme Challenge. And one year, um, when I was in college, me and my roommates decided it would be funny to do it um, with mustaches on. And uh, that was when we got interviewed on CNN when we were eating, like shoving donuts in our mouths with mustaches. And uh, we thought it was just like a local news channel and they come over with their cameras and they're like, so how does it, um, how does it feel to be eating donuts with a mustache? And my friend is like, you know, sometimes you get some glaze in the stash and she's like smoothing her stash, like with a close up <laughs> on the camera. She's like, but you just keep going. And we were like, oh, we're going to be on the local news. The next morning, my mom calls me. She's like, I just saw you on CNN eating donuts with a mustache on. Can you explain that? <laughs> You're like, just what I was hoping for my CNN debut. Exactly. But exactly. the real question is, how did it feel? Like, I feel like one mile I could handle because I'm a runner. So I'm like, okay, one mile I could yeah. do the donuts. But like the four after that, I mean, how are you feeling physically? So I was actually feeling great. I crashed later, but I felt like it gave me so much energy. I was like feeling good. Um, some people did not have that same reaction <laughs> and you see that on the way back, but I won't get into those gory details, but, um, I was feeling energized, uh, but then I definitely took like a three hour nap later. <laughs> yeah, I guess, um, in ultra marathons and things like that, they do have donuts and things as part of the, um, rest stops. But again, that was a lot more than one. So anyway, that, I just thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, my sister actually does ultra marathons. She was oh, like, wow. And she's crazy, but crazy in a good way. And um, with her last race, she asked me to um, be like her pacer at the end. And I was like, oh, of course, I'll run the last mile with you. Thank you so much for asking. She was like, no, the pacer needs to run the last 20. Like, <laughs> You're like, this but is 100 I miles. Yeah, <laughs> did it with her. And I felt bad anytime I was like complaining because she had just run, ran 80 miles before. But there would be, like, food stops with, like, quesadillas. I'm like, yes! Like, taking all the advantage that I could of the whole carb loading, burning it off, just eating everything I could. <laughs> so have you done a marathon yourself? I have. My sister and I did the Disney marathon. Oh, yeah, and that was... I'm a one-and-done kind of girl. She <laughs> is a runner, so... Um, I now only really run if someone's chasing me. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, that's awesome to do the, to, to be a pacer in an ultra marathon is no easy. Yeah, thing, so. it was really cool. If anything, she was pacing me though. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I have a few end of the podcast questions. So, you know, this is always a big, kind of a hard one um, to pin down, but do you have any role models or inspirations that you look to as you're building your career even more? Sarah Blakely is like my queen, founder of Spanx. Um, one of the reasons why I love her so much is that she uh, is so successful, but she just keeps it so real. Um, I mean, she started her company with like $5,000 out of her apartment. She is true, like saw a need, went and fixed it through a business. 
Um, and I love that she just keeps her humor along the way. I think sometimes in business and our lives and careers, you can just get so serious. And um, my friend, she, she's also an entrepreneur. Her name is Kate. Um, she and I got this motto for this year, and it's, if it's not fun, we're not doing it. So we want to have fun in everything we're doing. And Sarah is like just the epitome of that. Yeah, I have. I have definitely heard her episode on how I built this NPR and, um, and follow her on Instagram. And I, I totally see what you're saying in terms of keeping it real and keeping it fun. So she's awesome. Yeah. She's, um, really just like someone who just is having fun in business. And I think there should be more of that. If you could have dinner or drinks with anyone, who would it be and why? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so outside of Sarah, I love Ariana Huffington as well. I love what she's doing, like right now with the burnout epidemic and really um, helping people focus on their bodies and self-care. I just think she's so interesting. So I would love um, to have dinner with her. Or I love Esther Perel as well. Um, I don't know if you've listened to her, but she's like a relationship guru. And I just think she's so interesting too. Ooh, I haven't, but I'll, I'll Google her after this. Um, that reminds me, what are you, a? what do you think when you hear the word hustle? Are you anti-hustle or pro-hustle? Okay. So (laughs) I talk about this in the book. Um, I am anti-hustle and I am pro, um, willpower because there's a really interesting, article about willpower in the Harvard Business Review. So sometimes we think about willpower as like gas in the tank, which is really what we think about hustles like, oh, just like keep pushing. But really willpower is more of an emotion um, and less of like a depleted area. So emotions have to be triggered by something. Um, So our willpower is, you know, triggered by a passion for something or solving a problem. And so I am pro willpower because I believe that our efforts and actions should be connected to something greater. Um, You know, my, my uh, company with headbands of hope is connected to giving headbands to kids with cancer. Mic drop workshop is connected to getting more women on stages. And so I'm more willing to quote unquote hustle um, for those ideas because they're connected to something that I'm really passionate about but I'm not pro like hustle till you don't have to introduce yourself and I'll sleep when I'm dead and all those mantras that we yeah. hear. Yeah. I definitely feel like there's been a rise up of the anti-hustle movement lately. So it's just curious what you thought. Uh, are you a reader? Are you reading any books right now or listening to any podcasts that you like? Yes. Um, to all of it. Uh, one book that I just love um, and she is just an amazing role model for me as well as Marie Forleo's everything is figure outable mm-hmm. um, is such a great book. I love that. And then um, Mark Randolph's he's the co-founder of Netflix. Um, his book called that'll never work is another great one. If you love like shoe dog or any of those like really good entrepreneur stories, it's just so cool to see the real path of these businesses that we imagine of, always having it figured out like it it just shows that it could be anyone um Mm -hmm. so those that I really love yeah um I have followed Marie Forleo for a long time like probably before I followed a lot of people because she was one of the kind of pioneers of the online business 
you know, yes. leadership movement and um, everything is figure outable. That is something that I've used so much since I mm. started following her because so many, much of the time you're just going, Oh, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I can't figure this out. But it's like someone can figure it out. It is figure outable and it's so simple, but it's just, it's so true. And it gives you a pathway to, you know, kind of like empowerment, I guess. It's seriously like such a great mantra. I mean, even my husband is saying it when we're on the road and we have like, you know, we're stuck or something's broken the airstream. It's like, all right, we can figure this out. And it's just such an empowering phrase. And she, her book is really good at like giving you the tools to practice it. All right. Now, what is a goal for you? I know your book's coming out, but for the next, in the next five to 10 years, what would you, what's something you'd like to accomplish? Oh, that's a great question. Um, something that I'm really passionate about that I haven't quite figured out how it will work yet, but I know that I want similarly what I'm doing with my drop workshop right now. I want that for young girls. Um, I want to teach, um, young girls in schools to speak up, um, share their stories, raise their hand in class, uh, and get confident speaking um because i do think speaking is just such a powerful tool in life and the earlier we get started the better um and it just so much does so much for your confidence as a human so i think that's something that i would love to say that i'm um contributing towards and i do want a family one day it's me and my husband and my dog right now forward to the day where we have some little kiddos I'm not sure when that's gonna be um it's funny when my husband and I got married two years ago I said okay like I want a baby or I want a kid or I want a dog <laughs> he was like what breed of dog should we get <laughs> <laughs> yes um, yeah but that's that's in the pipeline for us for sure well, everything is figure outable when you have those two, because I have a three year old and a one year old and I'm trying to do it all and it's it's sort of working. So Yeah. <laughs> you're doing a great job. Well, that's awesome and I love your idea about the young girls thing. Like I'm just like envisioning some kind of program in the schools where, you know, girls are really being empowered to learn that stuff and it's something that I would have loved to have had um as a kid myself. So I will look forward to seeing that whenever it develops into reality. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, stay tuned. All right, Jess. Well, thank you so much. I can't wait to read your book. And I encourage everyone listening to grab a copy and we'll link up everything we talked about today. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you'll check out Jess's new book, Chasing the Bright Side, coming out very soon. And just look her up online. She's so much fun. She really is as fun as she seems. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of dying to see what life is like living in an Airstream. Uh, thanks so much for joining me again this week. If you have guest suggestions, send them my way on social media. Otherwise, I will see you next Tuesday. Bye.